0: Well, Professor, I think this is definitely one of our more spooky outings that we're at. We've got a full moon, and we're out at a graveyard. A uh, cemetery. What's the difference?
1: Well, technically, a graveyard is the yard of a church, it's connected to it. Uh, a cemetery is its own institution.
0: Interesting.
1: Didn't know that. What do you know about Enid? Well, Enid's history goes back to the 1893 land run, uh, settled this uh, Cherokee outlet, uh, the whole strip out here that was disconnected by the Osage Nation. Uh, much like all the other land runs, they were supposed to line up at the border and fire off a cannon at noon and get on in. Uh, famously, the uh, cannons fired early. The five-minute warning was supposedly when they uh, everybody thought it was the original, so they took off, and, um, which technically means that most of the people settling here were Sooners, but we just don't talk about those things. Enid itself uh, became uh, quite a boom boomtown, uh, one of the major institutions here, uh, already along the railway, and that led into the railway war. Uh, there was a big bridge being built which went through the town of North Enid, which is now connected to Enid. And both towns were, had quite a rivalry going back and forth, which led to several uh, supposed assassinations and, most famously, the bridge being dynamited. And when the railway needed to build a new ro- new one, the uh, city of Enid uh, coughed up enough money to make sure that it was built here. And thus, that's why we have Enid today rather than uh, North Enid as the major institution. It's a city rich with history. I'm excited to see what spooky tales they will have here on the
0: Tombstone Tales tour. Well, technically, it's a history tour, from what I've been told. What about the ghosts? I'm sure it's very historical.
1: Well, maybe we'll get lucky, nonetheless.
0: Hello, I'm Sam Saxon. I'm Professor Joff de Root. And you're listening to Tales Unveiled. Where we explore ghost stories and urban legends.
2: This episode of Tales Unveiled is brought to you by Visit Enid. No matter what you're planning, Enid has plenty of fun things to do and lodging options, ranging from popular chain hotels to historic bed and breakfast inns. Get suggestions on what to see, eat, and do at visitenid.org.
0: The Tombstone Tales is an annual tour about the history of Enid and the people buried in its namesake cemetery. Despite being in a cemetery, there was nothing scary about this tour. We climbed aboard a wagon, sat on a barrel of hay, and then were driven by a tractor throughout the cemetery where we made various stops to listen to stories about the people of Enid. Some of the performers retold their character story in third person, while others did it in character. For this episode of Tales Unveiled, I'm only going to share a few clips from the dozen stories we heard. In this first clip, we hear the story of Marshal Thomas Radford portrayed by Dustin Albright about the Marshalls' bad day.
3: And it was extremely cold out that day, and I was wearing my heavy overcoat and my gloves. I walked in to warm myself with the radiator which heated the building. So I'm standing there talking to some of my friends, warming myself, when all of a sudden, the back door opened and Cannon entered the bar. He walked the entire length of the building and never spoke to anybody and I never saw him, and he walked right up behind me, and he said, Bad day, isn't it? He pulled a 38 caliber revolver and stuck it to my left chest and fired. Now the bullet passed close to my heart and went through both lungs. Now I gasped for breath, and I turned to run, and I had no chance to pull my gun, which was under my overcoat. So as I turned, Cannon caught up with me and fired a second bullet. Now this time the gun was almost against my body, and the bullet went clean through me. And I continued to stagger toward the front door, and Cannon fired a third bullet into me. Now this one entered my head between my left eye and my ear, and I fell to the ground unconscious. So Cannon leaned over with, over me with the intent to fire one more, and that's when Officer Loving arrived on scene. He had been at the barber shop a couple doors down from the saloon. He drew his pistol, and he ordered Cannon not to fire. Now, I was still alive, barely, and I was taken to Dr. Baker's office where several physicians examined my wounds, but they all agreed that there was nothing they could do. I never regained consciousness, and I died 30 minutes later. And this is my tombstone, and this was where the famous Marshal Thomas Radford lies.
0: In this next clip... We were asked to judge if Dolly Dofit was crazy or if she was wronged.
4: My husband James T. Dofit I was just 17 years old when I met him. He was nearly twice my age but he swept me off my feet. Oh, he was really a neat guy. He was, we were kind of prominent. He made the land run here in Oklahoma, and the Enid Police Station sits right where our house used to be. We had that whole quarter section there, and we planted it with beautiful gardens, and we'd have big parties. Sometimes 300 people would come to our parties. It was really nice in the beginning, (laughs) but J.T. had a roving eye. (laughs) He was around her all right. I'd hear stories all over town about some of his escapades. Seems like uh, stuff was always going on, and and he was always messing around. One day I was sitting in our house. Our house was right where the police station is, and I was looking out at the barn. I saw J.T. headed into the barn and he didn't come back out and I kind of go, wow, I'll well, I'll and see what's going on. So I went out to the barn, I snuck in. There was J.T. fooling around with the hired hand's daughter. I was so mad, I went back in the house and I grabbed a revolver. And I went back out there and went in that barn and I shot J.T. in the middle of the act. <laughs> J.T. started bleeding and that girl started screaming and I was yelling, bleeding, screaming and yelling. Well, somehow they got JT to the hospital. They gave him the bad news. Doesn't look like you're gonna make it. <laughs> well, he called for his attorney and those proper law enforcement people. And I give him one thing. He told them he didn't want me prosecuted. He said if he died and I went to prison, there'd be nobody to raise the children. We had four. He said the children needed their mother. He knew I was a good mother. Well, JT did die. I lost my purse. We'll <laughs> <laughs> need that here in a minute. Well, JT did die. And sometime later, I took up with another man that I know. Unfortunately, he also suffered from an immoral itch. And he didn't get it from me. He was laying sleeping one night, and I sharpened up a straight-edge razor, and I went in there, I proceeded to cut out that itch. (laughs) He ran to the hospital, bleeding all the way. They saved his life. What it was worth. Uh Well, by this time, you can tell, I was pretty fed up with life and men big disappointments. I was always being called into court for something. A bill that wasn't paid or something. And we were sitting there and they said all rise and I reached into my little handbag and I pulled out a revolver. And I shot at that judge up on the bench. He hid back there behind the bench and the DA jumped under this table over here. He hid. The attorney that took me to court. He was over here and I fired at him. I had him in my favorite target. <laughs> Let's just say Attorney Wentworth won't be having any children.
5: <laughs>
4: well, somehow they overpowered me and they got the gun away. And that judge ruled me to Western State Mental Hospital. He said I was insane. I wasn't insane. I knew exactly what I was <laughs> <laughs> well, I was out there for a while and nothing was happening, so I appealed my case to Governor Bill Murray. He was a friend of my late husband. And he decided that the best option, the best re- thing he could do for me was he would give me an exile pardon. Well, that meant I not only had to leave Enid, I had to leave the whole state of Oklahoma for the rest of my life. Well, I wasn't crazy, so I took that deal. And my family moved me out to California, where I lived until I was 82 years old. And after I died, someone remembered we had a cemetery plot here in (laughs) Enid. We had this plot right over here. And and my late husband's buried right over here. You know, the one I killed. (laughs) And so they brought me back and they put me there. Now, you've heard my story. You tell me, was I crazy or was I wronged? I was wronged, I tell you. Wronged Wronged. by that no-good husband, wronged by that no-good boyfriend, wronged by that judge, wronged by everybody!
0: (laughs) (laughs) In this last clip, our tour guide told us that where we're at wasn't the original location of the cemetery.
5: Before the Enid Cemetery was started, they did take anybody that died in the community down there, where the Champlin Park is at Owen Garriott in uh, Van Buren, and they, they just buried them there. Uh, some of the graves were, were marked. There wasn't any rhyme or reason where anybody was placed. You just walked out there, dug a hole, and put, put the person in it. Uh, again, some of the graves were marked, but a lot of them weren't marked. And uh, after the Enid Cemetery was formed, which was several years later and after several hundred people had been buried at Potter's Field, they opened this cemetery and decided to try to move everybody.
0: All right, Professor, what
1: did you think of the tour? Very interesting. I took many notes and now I have much research
0: to do. It certainly was entertaining. Indeed. Indeed. All right, well, we got a couple more interviews tomorrow at 10 that Visit Eden has set up for us, so how about we get back to the hotel now?
1: Yes, it is. It's quite chilly.
0: On Sunday morning, the professor and I arrived at Garfield Furniture in downtown Edith for our featured interview. Both the professor and I were excited to learn more about the town's history and the connection to John Wilkes Booth. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time out to chat with the professor and I. As you know, this is my colleague, Professor Joff de Root. That's Joff Deroot. So how about we go around real fast and let you introduce yourselves for our audience?
6: I'm Russ Frazee, Enid, Oklahoma resident and owner of Garfield Furniture, home of the David E. George John Wilkes Booth legend.
5: I'm Errol Wofford. I'm a citizen of Enid, Oklahoma. Lived here all my life and uh, run around doing uh, Cactus Jack part of the time. All right. So let's get
0: started. Uh, tell us a little bit about Enid's history. Like, How did the town
5: get founded? Well, the town really got started uh, from the land run of 1893. The government had been here and The Cherokee outlet was uh, the premises of the land run, and uh, the government came in and sectioned off city blocks in the downtown square for Enid and uh, had the land run in September of 1893, and boom, here was Enid. I've also heard about a town of North Enid. Yes, there is a town called North Enid, which uh, had a great dispute when Enid was founded, uh, as to where the railroad was going to actually stop. And uh, there was a long uh, dispute between the Enid residents and the residents of North Enid as to where that train would stop and pick up passengers and let off passengers. It ended with the uh, people of Enid uh, cutting the trestles and uh, having a train wreck before they were able to finally persuade the railroad track to Stop in Enid and not North Enid. Sounds like Wild West times. Yes.
0: Onto the present day. What can people do if they were to visit Eden now?
6: Well, there's a lot of stuff to do in Enid. Uh, pretty much all family oriented. You don't have to worry about uh, kids or anything. They can see it all. We've got a great uh, railroad museum here. The Railroad Museum of Oklahoma. That's got everything from a big old steam engine to all kinds of stuff. Uh, We of course have the uh, Heritage Center over here at what we call Government Springs which was a uh, spring-fed watering hole for the Native Americans and then later the cattle drives that came through uh, Oklahoma and uh, it's a wonderful uh, historical museum about uh, not only Enid but uh, this whole northwest part of uh, Oklahoma Uh, and Government Springs Park itself is a beautiful place to visit it's a a lake spring-fed lake for with free picnicking and uh, toys for the kids to play on and things like that a sunken Flower garden. It's pretty impressive in the spring and summer of the year. Uh, but no ice skating there anymore. Sorry, no ice skating. Uh, however, and we, speaking of ice skating, uh, there is Meadow Lake Park, which is a free public park, which uh, back in about 1971 I did ice skate on, and uh, haven't ever since. Haven't froze solid enough to do that since then. But uh, the park has got uh, rides, a Ferris wheel, a miniature train, and uh, a golf course. And uh, again, there's a fishing lake there and uh, you know, another place just to hang out and relax.
5: There's also uh, Leonardo's Discovery right. Warehouse uh, built years ago uh, by the citizens of Enid that house uh, things for kids. Uh, museum more or less and experimental programs they run in there. What else Russ do you know that they do? Oh
6: gosh that area uh, where Leonardo's is which is downtown here in Enid uh, they're developing that into kind of a uh, a, uh, area where they can have events they have a food truck uh, event there uh, several times a year they have an area uh, that they call, the I think it's the Breeze, it's a, where they demolished a building and have converted it into a uh, area that people can have wedding receptions, birthday parties. Uh, it has an adjacent building that has an indoor uh, activity area, dining, kitchen area, and a lot of people from all over this area come there to have special events the whole of downtown enid has kind of it's we are the county seat of uh garfield county and uh we have several uh very good restaurants downtown here most of them are open six days a week and uh closed on sunday but uh a lot of places to eat uh see you got your own brewery now too Yeah, they just got a brewery in uh, just across the square from us here, and uh, they are putting another one in, I'm told, in the old KOCO Channel 5 uh, TV station building.
0: Yeah, I saw that when I was driving around town. also saw the the Simpson Museum with the the cowboy.
6: Right, Simpson's Old Time Museum. The Simpsons used to have several uh, retail business ventures, and then Uh, the two brothers uh, Rick and Larry uh, kinda fancy themselves as uh, cowboys and uh, you may see them walking around with town with their six shooters or uh, in shorts with a Hawaiian shirt on they make their own movies and then they do production work for other individuals too and the museum itself is jam-packed with all kinds of mainly Western cowboy type uh, items. Anything from a saddle to a cowboy hat, salt, and sh- pepper shaker. They got it all.
5: Yeah, the w- one other thing that's kind of a fun event here in Enid is the David Allen Memorial Bar- Bar- Ballpark, which is just south of Garfield Furniture. Uh, it was uh, built several years ago and uh, home to uh, The Junior College World Series, we've hosted that here in the ballpark for the last 10 years and uh, get hundreds and thousands of people actually come to that ballpark each year because they have about 15 other tournaments besides the Junior College World Series. So that brings a lot of people to the downtown area.
6: Yes, uh, visitors like uh, furniture reps that come from out of town, they see that ballpark and are really wowed by it and uh it's something and uh not only do they have the ball games there but uh they will also have special events there uh, uh concerts that sort of thing
0: all right let's dive into the main reason we're here first of all let's talk about the tombstone tales we did the that yesterday for our listeners can how would you describe that
5: well the uh, tombstone tales is a uh, Hayrack ride through uh, the cemetery after dark. Uh, we uh, visit several uh, headstones, tombstones that are located of uh, uh, various people that have lived in the Enid area and have died and, and are buried out there. They all have a, a lot of them have a unique story about their, their history and what they did. Uh, we have a Congressional Medal of Honor winner that's buried in our cemetery, which a lot of cemeteries don't have. Uh, What's kind of unusual about him is he won that during the Civil War. But we take the hayrack rides through the cemetery and stop at various grave sites and have reenactment characters that come out and talk about their life's history and story in a few minutes.
0: And it's not scary at all.
5: No, it's not a scary ride. It's more a historical ride. Uh, uh, We just explain the history of Enid and the history of people who've uh, gone before us. How do you choose which characters are going to be portrayed? Well, usually we like to to find an interesting character, someone that has a unique story about themselves. And how we've done that over the years, uh, we've been doing this for eight years now. Uh, We uh, first came up with the idea of a a ride through the uh, cemetery after dark, and then we thought, well, we could have different people come out and do reenactments. But who do we choose to uh, portray? And what we did was we went to the cemetery, and Tammy, she's the uh, current uh, manager of the cemetery, found some old boxes of newspaper clippings back in in the old vault. And as she got ready to throw those away, she thought she'd look at them and see what they were. And they were actually newspaper clippings of different people who died and uh, were buried there and some of the funny, interesting, unique characteristics about that person and what they did.
0: That is certainly quite a goldmine of stories. Then. Oh,
5: yeah. In fact, we still have a couple of boxes that we're still going through to create some other characters and to change some of them out. But uh, there's a lot of interesting people who've uh, lived life in here in the Enid area and are buried there. So
0: if someone's done it before, it's worth coming back again and trying it out
5: actually yes uh we've had some people that have gone on the ride every year for the for eight years even though we only changed one or two characters they said the reason they come back is because they always listen again to the same story but they pick something else up out of the story that they didn't hear the first time and it's just a entertainment thing people like to come out and and uh, socialize and and uh, ride on the thing and see what else is new have you personally been on the tombstone
0: tales yourself
6: i've never pers- Well, i did take the tour once i've been a uh actor in one of them squire utzler a <laughs> saloon owner in downtown enid and uh, oh it's great and uh people talk about this thing for months and months after it and uh the old guys like me they like the stories and like the John Deere tractors that pull the hay wagons around. So it's really fun.
5: Yeah. Uh, Russ did, uh, the portray, Squire Squire Utsler a saloon owner on the downtown square, uh, uh, did that for several years for us and, and moved on to other things, <laughs> but, uh, did a good job for us. But it's interesting things like that, that we, and stories that we've come up with that, uh, other people find interesting what would you say are one of the more interesting stories probably the most interesting that everybody seems to get the biggest kick out of is the story about Dolly Doffett who was uh, a prominent lady here in Enid uh, who uh, married a man twice her age and he ran in the land run and uh, the story goes on about their whole life and what Dolly did and didn't do and uh, some say she was crazy, and she says she was wronged by men all her life, and she wanted to get even with them. And so, it's quite an interesting story about her life history and and uh, her husband J. T. Doffett.
6: It's also in one of the creepier. It's in the really old part of that cemetery with a bunch of trees, and there's a big tombstone that's uh, a statue of an angel, and uh, it's it's pretty. Uh, it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) spooky but it's all good
5: the yeah and what's interesting is that she has uh, the largest headstone or tombstone in the whole cemetery but uh, she was partially mentally unstable and anyway it's quite a story
1: So outside of the Tombstone Tales, what other wild historical events have happened in Enid?
5: Well, of course, we've had the Chisholm Trail, who uh, uh, crossed the street right down here. It runs through the middle of the ballpark here in Enid. And the Chisholm Trail was where millions of longhorn cattle were rounded up as far south as San Antonio, Texas, and driven all the way up to Abilene, Kansas, to be shipped back east uh, for butchering. But uh, the Chisholm Trail goes through here. We've got a lot of history from the land run itself and all the stories you hear about different people that were involved in the land run. Uh, We have nine of those people buried in the mausoleum out at, uh, at the cemetery, which we talk about. But Enid has a lot of history from the Chisholm Trail to the land run to other things. And what's interesting is everything actually started from the downtown area because of the land run and because right across the street, catty-cornered, was the land office where everybody had to register their claim that uh, was claiming their 160 acres in the land run. So a lot of history going on Mm -hmm. and has gone on in the past. And since the beginning of Enid in 1893, there's been three police officers or lawmen that have lost their life in the line of duty. One was uh, Marshall Williams in uh, 1895. He had a dispute with the uh, uh, one of the uh, people in town that was a good friend of his, who was the uh, editor of the newspaper. And the other gentleman involved in the feud was the uh, manager of the land office. And uh, the newspaper man and the land man got in several fights. And anyway, Marshall Williams went to break up this fight in this building north of uh, Garfield Furniture and uh, was killed and shot and died accordingly. Uh, also, in 1906, uh, Marshal uh, Radford was gunned down in the same building. It was the Tony Foss Saloon at that time, and he was in there warming himself on a cold winter morning, and another gentleman that he had a running feud with came in through the back door and walked up behind him and shot him to death and then in 1926 officer Cal Palmer went into uh, the beer joint that was located there where a man was known to be wanted by the law and he went in to arrest him and he was gunned down in that store so all three officers that have lost their life in the line of duty and enid died in that store and it's safe to say that if they get police today get a call from somebody at that location, they pull up in front and just kind of sit and wait and see what happens.
6: <laughs> Enid isn't near that rough these days, so you know, you can uh, walk around downtown and all that without fear of dodging bullets. The
1: Wild West certainly seems to have calmed down.
5: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, I guess it was during this time that Enid has its most famous
6: legend the legend of David E. George, or was he John Wilkes Booth?
0: Yeah, could you tell us our listeners a little bit about that? I found that rather fascinating from the little tidbits I've heard about it.
6: Well, uh, Garfield Furniture kind of inherited the legend uh, when my grandfather bought this building back in 1943. And uh, the story goes, Booth uh we know he escaped from washington and hid out in the virginia countryside for a week or so and then supposedly uh he was trapped in a barn they set the barn on fire a union soldier boston corbett stuck his gun through and shot him and booth was dead we believe however that booth escaped going down the appalachian trail across the gulf to mexico and then up to Texas where he lived in Grandberry, Texas uh, which is a nice town to visit Grandberry and Glen Rose if you're looking for somewhere to go and he lived his salad days there until the late eighteen hundreds when he disappeared and came into the newly opened Oklahoma Territory and his first stop was in southeast Oklahoma which also is known as Little Dixie to this day and what Booth thought was going to happen was that uh, the South and the North were going to come to an agreement uh, after the death of Lincoln because the, company, the country was in turmoil. So he was on the run. Uh, Booth, being an actor and educated, could, uh, we theorize, presume any identity. So uh, he was biding his time. However, by the time he got to Oklahoma, uh, he was getting kind of older. He was in his uh, mid-50s. Well, he got to Little Dixie. It was a little rough uh, as it is still today, or rustic, I should say. Uh, So he went over to El Reno, which was a big rail center. And uh, he was known to have been there, but uh there was also fort reno which is a interesting place to visit west of el reno and it's still it's a museum and anyway uh they reactivated that fort and he was uh, we suspect worried that possibly it was a cavalry base at el reno and the cavalry is who Uh, Kill the man in the barn, the supposed booth, and he may have been afraid that he was going to be detected. So anyway, he came up uh, basically the Chisholm Trail, or 81 Highway, uh, heading north, and uh, he ended up in Hennessy, south of Enid here, which was on the border, the south border of our land-run territory, and uh, took up residency there. He really didn't do much, and, but one day he had a seizure and thought he was going to die, and uh, he confessed to the Methodist minister and his wife who was renting a room from uh, that he was actually Booth. Well, he got over his illness and uh, swore the couple to secrecy and then kind of moseyed up the Chisholm Trail, 81 Highway, to Enid, where he took up residency uh, in the Grand Avenue Hotel, which is on the upper floor of now Garfield Furniture. He lived there uh, uh, for, oh, not quite two years, and basically he hung out, down here on the south side of the square, which is where all the saloons and uh, stables and brothels and uh, a little bit rougher side of town, and he would frequent the saloons and uh, people said uh, he was an elo- eloquent man and he would do Shakespeare quotes and he would do little skits and people would buy him cigars and drinks and that's, uh, that was his life. Uh, however he became despondent in the early days of uh, January of uh, 1903 and he was there at one of the saloons ranting that they were going to see that he was once a great man that was gonna do great things that as we know that didn't happen Uh, so he went back up to his little room uh, here and with a little bottle of strychnine that he had purchased at the pharmacy he poisoned himself and uh... some say that uh, on his deathbed he confessed again others say no uh, but uh, they took the body to the funeral parlor and they embalmed it using arsenic and it effectively dried the body out uh, to a jerky like consistency and uh... They had an autopsy. Uh, Our body, the Booth, that we believe, was the right age. It had the right uh, hair color, eye color, skin texture, uh, broken leg uh, that Booth had when he jumped from the Lincoln box at Ford's Theater. Uh, and more telling, our mummy had a scar across the back of the neck that Booth had gotten in a on-stage sword fight uh, when he was acting. Well, the official said, well, we got Booth years ago. We don't know who this guy is. Do whatever you want to. And people were flocking to Enid trying to uh, hear more about this story and uh, to try and claim the... Uh, reward uh, that they had out because boston corbett and some of the uh, army uh, officials were paid a token amount but not the hundred thousand dollars that was which was a fortune then and now uh reward so <clears throat> the uh, mortician dressed the body and put it on display Uh, in the back of his funeral parlor, which we have free postcards here, folks, uh, of the booth mummy, uh, you're welcome to. And uh, for a couple of years, uh, it was kind of a tourist attraction. And, you know, you'd give them a nickel and go see the mummy. Well, the city officials here uh, didn't care to be associated with the assassin of one of our most beloved presidents, so they told the mortician to lose the mummy. Well, uh, in those days there were lots of traveling circuses, and one of these uh, circuses bought the mummy to go on what they used to call the freak show circuit, which uh, you may have heard in movies The Bearded Lady or Two-Headed Cow or The Mummy of John Wilkes Booth. And their pitch was they had a thousand dollar bond that if you could prove that this was not John Wilkes booth, they would give you a thousand dollars. So then, since they're with the circus, you, when you gave them your dime, you could go in and you would see this mummy uh, sitting in a chair. And that, that was the thrill. So uh, later, the mummy uh, disappeared. We were fortunate that... Uh, the mummy was in the, uh, being in the circus industry, they have their trade journals, so we were actually able to follow the mummy for over 50 years uh, through the trade journals of the circus industry. Well, uh, anyway, this mummy disappeared, and there was a cover story, as I call it, that the mummy was in a building, and the building was torn down, and the mummy hauled away with the rubble there's no more mummy, quit talking about Booth, uh, we got him years ago. We have since discovered that there are people uh, that collect mummies, and it's kind of like, people do. Well, yeah, it's a little strange, uh, you know, people collect uh, dolls, machine guns, mummies, uh, so uh, that has come to light, and... Uh, it is important because if we could find that mummy the government after they killed the man who they thought was Booth they took an autopsy and they took three neck bones out of that body and then those were then deposited in the then Walter Reed Army Hospital in Washington D.C. where they are they have now created a Separate Museum uh, But uh, those bones are there in a preserved condition No one would have known that something like DNA testing would have come along and uh, however They the government is more than unwilling to not let anyone touch those bones or uh, from people that have inquired about it even take a picture of them so that is our major history and that's why i like to call the story of john wilts booth here in enid uh, a living legend that uh, is that uh is still under investigation because no one knows what this mummy is now do they no and it's not likely that unless a very freaky Uh, incident like somebody dies and nobody knows about it and somebody goes in the house and finds their stash of mummy collection. We believe though that uh, if they just take a DNA sample from the vertebrae that the government has on display, Booth's brother Edwin who was similar in age and continued on as an actor in New York City And then when he died, he was living in Connecticut at the time, along with Mark Twain and other notable Americans of that time. Uh, They had permission to get into that grave, Edwin's, and get some of his DNA. And there are still living Booth family members that are eager to have it investigated so that they will know if the government got Booth, Or, as we believe, they killed the wrong guy.
0: Is there anything else you wish to share for our listeners about Eden? No,
5: I think uh, we've covered quite a few uh, topics, quite a few things, uh, interesting things. Uh, Come to Enid and uh, talk to some of the people that know the history and... and, uh, You'll be fascinated by the story of John Wilkes Booth, as I'm sure you are now, from just listening to what Russ has told us.
6: Yep. Enid makes a good road trip destination. And uh, like Errol said, there's plenty to do and uh, see, and the people are friendly, so come to Enid.
2: Unveiled is a production of the show starts now studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman. The voice of professor Jeff DeRoot is Jeff Provine. We would like to thank Visit Enid for the travel and accommodations and the itinerary. We would like to thank Visit Enid for the travel accommodations and itinerary. Also, a thank you to Russ Frazee and Errol Wolford for sharing stories with us. You want early access to new episodes? Of course you do! Visit TalesUnveiled.com to find out how to become a patron supporter. This episode's advice comes from Abraham Lincoln. When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on.